0: On today's show, we are going to be talking about photography and to help us understand this area, we have a super, super awesome guest on our show today. Yes, I'm so excited to have her on the show. Her name is Nevada Veer and she is an extremely talented photographer. You can check out her website at NevadaWear.com and if you check out her website, you'll find that her work is absolutely stunning. It is no surprise that her work has been published in some very, very prestigious publications including National Geographic, National Geographic Adventure, National Geographic Traveler, Outdoor Photographer, Outside Magazine and a number of other publications. Her work has also won multiple awards and is also represented in Getty Images, Corbis, National Geographic Images, and Blend. Nevada describes herself as a fine art and travel photographer and she travels around the world taking some really really stunning images which really capture the essence of what she's trying to portray and share through her photographs. So I think today's discussion is going to be very helpful for anyone who has an interest in photography and has contemplated with the idea of pursuing a career in photography. So I would highly recommend it to anyone with an interest in photography and without further ado let's welcome Nevada to the show. Ali. Hey, Nevada, how are you? Thank you so much for your time. Honestly, it's an honor to have you on the show.
1: Oh, it's great. You caught me at a good time. I'm, you know, I'm usually gone every month and I got a little bit of space here before I head off to Africa. So it's great oh, wow. to talk with you.
0: Wow, awesome. So I know you're on my Facebook and I see photographs. I saw photographs from India recently and now it seems that you're off to Africa in a few weeks. That's awesome.
1: It's, it's true. I, I'm, I'm based in Santa Fe, New Mexico, but based is the key word because I'm only here just a few months out of the year in the States. Um, I love it here, but I'm, I could think I'm born to Rome.
0: I think you have what many people describe as the ideal job where you get to travel so much and get paid for it. So that's all. Oh,
1: nothing is ideal. So there's always a little bit of the, you know, dark side to any light. And that's certainly true with with my life. But I have to admit that I'm really excited about what I do. And I feel really lucky because I did create a lifestyle for myself that I wanted and it hasn't been easy, but I do feel like I'm living the life that I dreamed of when, you know, I was in my twenties. So, cause I actually really didn't start considering photography till after college actually. I and see. I don't come from a family of travelers, but I ended up actually as an outdoor guide in my twenties, I became really interested in rock climbing and river rafting and mountaineering And that led me to Nepal, which was my first real major international trip. I'd gone to Bolivia before that, but um, I was working as a trekking guide. And this was about the time I fell in love with this large format Deardorff camera. You know, one of those beautiful wooden cameras that on tripod and you put those black cloths over your head and I think I fell in love with the myth of the photographer being on the edge of the Grand Canyon and photographing. And, of course, that's not a really good backpacking camera, so my brother sent me a little Pentax Botmatic. And so when I was trekking in Nepal, I was guiding treks there. I took along my cameras. By then I'd migrated to a Nikon, and I had a big, larger format Mamiya because I was doing black and white in color. And I just loved it. I loved being on the road, and I loved The magic of photography, and I realized as I was going through the mountains, thinking I was going to become this adventure outdoor photographer, photographing landscapes and climbing mountains, I realized that all the trails I was going through and the people and the villages I was meeting, it was so much more interesting than being on top of a mountain. So I began to craft this other lifestyle for myself, merging guiding skills with going on these self-imposed mini expeditions and going to festivals and photographing and building up a portfolio so I could begin to promote myself as a cultural adventure photographer.
0: This is such such a great story and I think what really stands out for me is that you do not come from a family of travelers or photographers. So this really happened by chance. You had this interest and you took the initiative to cultivate. Yes, you know,
1: I, I think everyone should have art in their lives. And I was always trying to find my way with it. I, I couldn't, I can't sing. I can't play an instrument. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty wretched at drawing. And I, I, poetry didn't really come very naturally. And when I picked up a camera, it had the right amount of right brain, left brain. Because it, it really, I, there is a side of me that's very techy, And then there's another side that, is very ethereal, so it it was a, a perfect merge for me, and I loved the dark room. The alchemy of the dark room um, was just magical. I think much more magical than looking at a computer these days. Um, and then just the very act of traveling, I think, activated this latent gene in me, some mutant gene that said, "This is it. This is what you're born yeah. to do." And it was a, It's been a beautiful marriage.
0: Yeah, so, you know, one, one thing which comes to mind, and I'm speaking from the point of view of a lot of people who develop interest in photography or other art. And the thing which worries some people is that it's not a very, um, it's not a very structured profession, right? Like, it's not like you do this, then you do this, then you do this, and then you become a photographer. It, you sort of have to carve out your own path. And so did that ever scare you in any way? Well, you,
1: you're absolutely correct, and it is tough because you can go to photography school, but that doesn't mean anything. It's mm. not like going to law school or medical school. It's really made for individuals who really want to carve out their own niche. There's there's no signposts, there's no landmarks on the trail, and you can talk to as many photographers as you want to, but the reality is, is you have to be the type of personality that figures it out on your own because if you can't figure it out on your own, you're never going to make it as a yeah. freelancer. And that's the reality. And uh, so you were just born that way? <laughs> no, well, I think what happened with me, because I was working as, after I, after college, I was working as an Outward Bound instructor, and I was living a very modular life. And actually, I was living a very unrooted life because I, I just was living in these base camps, and I was teaching these outdoor courses, and then I went on this expedition to Bolivia, and then I went you know, was asked to be the program manager of this trekking program in Nepal. Mm-hmm. So I was really used to this month by month existence. And it was also a time in the late 70s, early 80s, when America was a little bit more carefree. So I had a little bit of, you know, yeah. uh, leeway that I think is much more difficult these days. Mm-hmm. Um But I got very, very used to, you know, not having a set paycheck every month. I think it'd be very difficult to go from a, especially a well-paying job and then say, hey, I think I'll just be a freelancer without having a huge safety net under yourself. But I started out as a young student and we're used to, living little on the edge a little bit. And (laughs) I just got used to that edge. And then, of course, as I got older and more established, um, you constantly have to reinvent yourself. There's no question about it. But I'm still able to build on a platform of my experience, although it's a shaky platform. It's, It's not a career for someone who wants to be rooted and Really know what's coming up for the future because that's impossible in this job.
0: Yeah, no, that's really helpful because I think that it is for someone who is very, very entrepreneurial and is okay with living in a lot in a very ambiguous state, right, especially in the in your early stages of the career.
1: That's right. And that's true. I think for any art form, you know, uh, people who are going into drama or writers in particular, you know, you have to be that type of individual that is so passionate about your art, but you have to also come at it from a business sense. And I can't say (laughs) I was very good at that. I didn't really quite understand that when I was younger, but I sure understand it now that photography I call myself a professional photographer, that means that I sell my work, which means that I have to have a certain acumen of marketing, and business skills, although that's a little bit lacking marketing, I'm pretty good at, you know, and then being good in photography is important, but it's
0: not as important as the marketing and business sense. Oh, that's a very, very interesting point. So uh, how would you describe the the job of a photographer?
1: Well, there are so many different uh, niches for photography, right? And the the one that used to be a little more secure were people who became staff photographers. I worked for a newspaper for a couple of years. I wouldn't wasn't really a staff photographer, but I was paid on a weekly basis for the job I was doing. But now, of course, newspapers are laying off their staff. National Geographic doesn't have any more staff photographers. So it's increasingly a freelance world. And then there are categories like the one I'm in. Travel is is very large. And of course, today, the you know, it used to be, that to make it as a photographer, you had to pass what I call the Great Barrier Reef of the editors. Like going into National Geographic and having the photo editors say, basically, you shall pass, kind of putting a little magic wand over me. And I was like, oh, you know, because that was the only way you could be seen, was to be seen in magazines. Now you can be seen in so many other ways. So if you're very, very clever with social media and other forms of advertising yourself, you can promote yourself and magazines just don't matter as much as they used to. I think it's important to be published, but being published is not just paper anymore. So it's much more convoluted, many, many more opportunities. But I look at it now and I go, wow, I thought it was difficult, you know, when I was younger, but at least I knew I had to make it in magazines. There was no other way, you know. And now it's like, Hmm. Now you have to be uber creative to make yeah. it, I think.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. So you bring up a very, very good point, which is that in today's world, everyone has a smartphone and SLRs are so accessible now. So pretty much everyone, you know, is doing some sort of photography or the other, which is why I think I would love to understand from your perspective that as a professional photographer, how do you differentiate from every Tom, Dick, and Harry who's taking some photograph or the other? You know, it's it's no longer enough to have a nice SLR and taking really nice images.
1: It, you're right. I mean, it used to be that I would set myself apart, and, and I still do, based on my experience, is that I decided that what I was really interested in was in remote cultures and at, the, at that time in the late 70s 80s, there were quite a few people traveling, but there weren't that many people photographing these tribal groups in more remote areas. That's mm-hmm. increasingly possible now with there's more photo tours, there's more information about these places. But at the time I was doing it, I was pretty unique. And I have to say, being a woman was very helpful I see. because, you know, there's always have been more men in photography and, but there's always been a lot of superstars, women superstars too. But I have to say that when there become a time to say, well, we need to get some women involved, my name would come up quite often. And that, so being a woman, I think was helpful. It's also helpful traveling, I think too, because I could spend time, particularly in tribal groups, uh, with the men and with the women. Hmm. Um, because sometimes the men didn't quite know where to place me. Hmm. And and that was really freeing. So uh, now, though, because I have that experience working in these groups, I get called on that experience. That's why, I, like I said, I, no one could follow in my path right now. My, my path is dried up. And someone else would have to come at it with a different angle.
0: I see, I see. So what you're saying is that when you started out, it was still... You know, there were few photographers, you don't have digital cameras everywhere. So you differentiated yourself from the point of view of what you were photographing and being a woman and the fact that you were travelling helped you a lot, but that is no longer something that can help differentiate someone.
1: No, not, not like before. Now of course there's so many other possibilities. You know, there's the people I know in photography who are really making a living just as a photographer and not teaching or selling workshops or tours and things like that, which is also what I do. Yeah, they're working in areas of photography where I have to say amateurs have a hard time treading. So they're positioning themselves, you know, in studios or they're doing high end celebrity or they're working with um, food photography or architectural or the type of photography that Someone can't just get lucky because photography is very democratic. Everybody is going to make at least one great image in their lifetime. It's guaranteed. And now with the proliferation of iPhones, which I think are amazing, great cameras, of course, the number of people um, with those, and I won't say lucky. It's just sort of the way it is. I mean, you still have to point the camera, but it's the people who can consistently make great images those are the ones who are going to get the assignments and those are the ones who are going to be working in these more rarefied niches of photography
0: yeah yeah I mean I think I read this quote somewhere that in order to call yourself a professional photographer you have to be able to produce a good photograph every single time and that's what differentiates it from an amateur where it's just okay I took 100 photographs of the same thing and then one of them became good Right, because we can all publish, you know, a nice
1: portfolio of our 20 hit wonders. Everybody who travels yeah, yeah. has those, but there's also a virtuosity involved. Every art form, every science, you know, has a, a level of individual who is striving for this virtuosity. And it's not something that, that everyone can see the same way I can, I I love good music, but I don't hear The really, really fine points that someone who is really trained in music just hears things that I'm not going to hear. And I think someone who devotes themselves to seeing, whether it's in painting or whether it's in cinematography or photography, you have this very heightened sense of what works within your particular venue and being able to read a photograph and really see the nuances that people are reacting to these things but a photographer knows what they are and they know how to sculpt an image at all times of the day like I consider myself a bad life photographer because I have to work in all lighting conditions. I don't have the luxury of going back to all these places and the most beautiful light. I, I don't, I have to get in there and I have to create a compelling image in any situations. And you learn that by, you know, the old phrase of being in the trenches and being, working as a newspaper photographer, that was really helpful for me because I had to produce every single day. And so just having award-winning images and just having some good photographs and having your friends say, hey, you should work for mm-hmm. National Geographic, that's not good enough because it, you've got to ha- be able to prove that you can produce under the most appalling conditions.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And it's probably a good segue into then what are these nuances? Like, how would you describe what makes a good photograph?
1: You know, the reality is, is that we are just interpreting what we see. Just because something looks good to us, just because something is picturesque, doesn't mean it's photogenic. And it's up to the photographer to interpret a scene uh, in a way that looks good on a two dimensional plane, whether it used to be a piece of paper, now it can be a web screen. And for example, our eyes are miraculous and most of us see of a very large range of what we call contrast. We can see detail in light and we can see detail in shadows. And a camera sensor, and certainly not film, doesn't have that range. You have to learn what to work with that. Lenses have different optical perspectives. They're very different than our eye. And you have to learn to work with that, work with what I call space, interstitial space and wide angles or compression in telephotos. Mm. So in a way, you're trying to interpret what you see as a photograph. We can change our focus in a photograph. Normally, all of us see, you know, close, middle, far, unless you have impaired vision. But a camera, a lens, you can choose to have just a little bit in focus or a lot in focus. There are a lot of creative choices, and you can almost photograph like you imagine. You just see something, and then you turn it, interpret it into an image, and it takes a lot of skill to do that.
0: So, are you saying that when you're trying to, like, if I think about how does Nevada view what is her creative process? Are you trying to portray your interpretation of what you're seeing in your photographs?
1: Yeah, I see when I see an image that has the potential for a photograph. First of all, I I see something interesting and I have to admit I'm blessed with great subjects. I mean, there was a photographer or somebody once said, well, if your photographs aren't good enough, get better subjects. Well, <laughs> yeah. I have great subjects. I mean, I just came back from India. I mean, my gosh, India is just amazing. And I'm going to Africa. Absolutely fantastic. I just came from Myanmar. And then I've been to Colombia. I just came back from Cuba a couple of months ago. Fabulous subjects. So it's my job to make a fabulous image of that fabulous subject. Most people kind of go on a travel situation and they let, the interesting person carry the image. I have to make an interesting image of that interesting person. And that puts a whole nother spin onto the situation. And so I have to think photographically. I look for what the problems are. What isn't going to work out? Oh, there's that piece of trash. When we're looking at something, we don't pay attention. What's the lightest thing in the picture? Where are all the shadows falling? Is there a distracting background? What are they wearing? How are the colors working together? (laughs) Let's talk about color at a different time because color is very seductive and difficult. But, you know, my mind turns into a camera and the lens and possibilities. And so what I'm seeing is totally being recreated in a different way in my head, quickly.
0: Yeah, yeah. So can you maybe share a, a project maybe that stands out in your mind? Well... You know,
1: let's take a project that, of course, everyone kind of goes, oh, lucky you. You work for National Geographic. Okay, (laughs) this was a a great project. And then I'm going to I'm going to talk about a couple of them because they're very different. So quickly, this National Geographic project was a two month expedition down the Blue Nile that I proposed. That's another thing. If you want to be a photographer, you better know how to write because you know you better have you have to be able to write proposals.
0: So you have to suggest that I think this would be a great subject, and then someone has to approve it.
1: Yes, you have to write proposals, and you have to write them succinctly and compellingly okay. that someone wants this proposal. It's interesting being a visual person, but most of my projects have all happened with the written word. Ah, I see. And, you know, I think there's other ways of going about that, especially with today with online possibilities. But I still think the written word is important. and always will be important. But coming back to this project. So I proposed this National Geographic project and then I planned all the logistics. When I do big trips and I've done all my assignments, I plan everything. There isn't anybody doing things for me. I don't have assistants running around. That happens in more commercial photography, not in editorial photography. So I'm on this two-month expedition and I have to go with everything that's thrown at me. And I'm on rafts and I'm in rain and the weather is bad all the time. The sun is shining. I have some very dark skins. And it was very challenging because I have to deal with the elemental part of being on an actual actual expedition for two months without any electricity, which would be difficult with digital. I was using film and camping and little rest houses and then there's the cultural element being with a culture that's very new to me and then of course there's the photographic element so that was extremely challenging and bringing that all together was a great a great moment in my life and probably one of the best assignments of my life
0: so what made it so exciting for you
1: well, to accomplish something of that magnitude, to go the entire length of the Blue Nile from its source all the way to the Sudan border, mm-hmm. you know, we had to walk about two hundred, about 150 miles and we rafted about 500 miles. Mm-hmm. And then I spent another three to four weeks photographing ancillary places along the way up at mm-hmm. Lake Tana and things like that, to convincing the Ethiopian army to put me up in a helicopter. That took a very long time wow. to do that. Yeah. Yeah. so you know it because Ethiopia was just coming out of a war and so they were very new tourism wasn't part of Ethiopia at that point so I was coming into a country that just come out of war there was a lot of unknown we didn't ha- have any idea what was going to be happening on this river we didn't know how bad the rapids were going to be you know there was just such little yeah. information and
0: it's just a, such a feeling and accomplishment to get all of that done and to to make it work no absolutely I mean that sounds I mean that sounds amazing especially for someone who loves traveling that it's like the perfect marriage right you you get to explore these exotic locations you get all of these experiences and you get to photograph so it's sort of the perfect combination but I think what what it also brings to mind is that for someone like you who enjoys traveling who who enjoys this aspect of adventure if you might call it this is great But let's say someone is not so interested in like, hey, you know, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can be going to Ethiopia and war ridden places. How would you help them figure out what area they should specialize in?
1: Well, like I come back to this word niche. I mean, you have to have a hook. You, You have to have a reason for what you're photographing. And also you should know why you're photographing. Are you photographing to become a professional, to work in news oriented, or do you want to work more in fine art where there's more liberal interpretation of photography? Uh, what what I work in in editorial is very literal. And of course, I have to admit, I don't uh, crop and I don't change any content. There's none of this photoshopping out a wire and things like that in the field that I am. I'm in. But there are other fields where that's not only okay, but it's also encouraged in Hmm. digital illustration. So because of the fact there's so many different avenues to go into, figuring out the type of photography you want to do, it's not enough to say, oh, I like to travel. I want to be a travel photographer. No, you have to say, well, I like to travel or I'm a surfer. Maybe I'll specialize in surf photography and be the best surfing photographer you can be. Today, I think people have to be specialized, And they have to be a little bit more directed than I was when I first got involved because I kind of floated through newspapers and, you know, things like that. But it was a little more liberal then. And I think now if I was looking at this, I'd be a lot more concerned about what type of photography do I really want to do? And is there an audience for it? And how can I promote myself as the person to do that?
0: So... This is great. First of all, I think this is I mean, I have so many questions. But so my my first question is, if let's say there is someone in this position where they're like, okay, I'm willing to explore, I understand that I need to figure out what to specialize in. And then if there's an audience for it, do you have any ideas on how someone can go about exploring these various niches? Well, they've got to get in and get dirty. And the same way
1: for me, I wanted to become an adventure photographer. I couldn't sit in America and say, oh, send me to China and Nepal. I had to go there first. I had to figure out a way to go there. And I did it by being a guide and by making contacts. And they became my, what we call fixers, the people that even today, help me when I go to China or India. I have these long-standing friends in these countries that can get me special permits and get me places. So you have to kind of get in there and talk to the photographers who are working in that field. You can't follow in their footsteps, but at least you can get an idea of what their life is like and how they're approaching things. And don't ask to be their assistant. That doesn't work. Very few people have assistants. But just say, I'm really interested. I'm really interested in what you were doing. And I know I Can't do it the same way you did, but perhaps your journey will help me figure out how I will get involved. And today, there are so many seminars and workshops. I didn't have that advantage. I'm self taught, which is No big deal because, you know, the teacher doesn't know anything when you're self-taught. So it just took (laughs) me quite a long time. And it took me eight years before I made a photograph I really love. And today you can go to photo reviews and have workshops with some of the most renowned photographers in the world in all these different fields. And you can try out different hats, so to speak, in photography and see what you're interested in and then also just realize that it's not all about photography it's about marketing and business and paying attention to how other people even in other fields have made a name for themselves by being innovative and being creative and using the internet and the web and portfolios and presentations to get out into the world. It's not simple. But you know, the good news about being freelance is I can never be fired. That's true. (laughs) But I have to just keep reinventing myself. And I always feel that there's another place I can go. And I find it really exciting. But you really have to be the personality for that.
0: Yeah yeah and I so that was going to be my second question which is around the whole marketing and thinking about it from a business perspective because in in today's times you, it's so hard to get people's attention right so what would be your thoughts on that how did you do it for yourself i know that, that you have a big following on facebook and twitter so how do you do it
1: well again i started the the old school way of the magazines and i but i realized early on that it wasn't enough just to be a credit on a byline. You know, it'd be great to think, oh, I could just, editors will just give me all these jobs and I'll go out and photograph and I'll travel and photograph the rest of my life. Well, there's very few photographers who did it that way and I don't think it's possible now. And I realized that people want to know who I am. And I started writing for magazines like Outdoor Photographer and I started giving lectures and seminars where I'd say, hey, I'm Nevada Weir and editors pay attention. I met editors that way. You know, they come to these seminars because meeting people in person is the way you get jobs. I'm a loner and um, I'm I'm an extrovert. That's a really good thing. That's a really good combination because I like working by myself. But I'm also very interested in people, you know, human race, I'm not so sure about, but people are fantastic. Mm -hmm. And also to get the jobs that I got, yes, I had to write proposals, but I met the editors first. And so getting your name out and then if you're interested in a particular niche and it involves a certain person, you should try to go meet them. Because once you meet someone, that still counts. And the jobs that I got, I have to say, primarily came from face-to-face encounter, followed up by very, very solid proposals.
0: I think this is a super, super uh, interesting point for me, which is the fact that what you said, which is that people want to know who is Nevada viewer. So it's not just a photograph. But the fact that Nevada viewer is the one who is behind the photograph, and so you establish that personal connection, either with the editors or with the or with your audience directly. So one is that you were going for all of these events, and you were meeting these editors face to face, and they saw who you were. Do you practice this also on social media, where you try to establish a connection with people who like your work? Absolutely. I mean, to be honest, I'm not a super fan of
1: social media. It's so time consuming. And you can't say, hey, I just got a dollar for sending a tweet. You know, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) But that's part of the promotion. And I'm not so much right now trying, uh, like on Facebook, trying to sell anything. I'm not trying to find editors to work for at this point, like like some people are in Lincoln. I have some photographer friends who actually get quite a few jobs from LinkedIn. And I also have some photographer friends who are making quite a name for themselves as young photographers, as, as emerging photographers in Instagram. I think Instagram oh, yeah. is increasingly important and I'm starting to use it more. I came a little late to the game, I think, but I've had other things I'm working on. So I try to keep a presence in Facebook um, for people who are interested. I keep a personal page for people who are just interested in photography and I look at every person who says, can I be your friend? And I pay attention to see if they're interested in photography. And then I have a professional page that I primarily use for announcements of talks and tours and workshops and special like this podcast, I'd put it on the public one. I'd also yeah. put it on my personal one. Yeah. Twitter, I don't use that much, to be perfectly honest. It's, I know it's gotten more visual, but it's not something that's ever resonated with me personally. But that's not to, to shunt it aside. It just hasn't worked for me. But I think Instagram is increasingly important to promote yourself. And I know quite a few people who've gotten jobs from Instagram.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, Instagram is quite a phenomenon. I do want to understand that from what I can understand so far, you started out in photography at a fairly young age, and then you were fairly driven about this and you started getting assignments in various magazines, but you not only got to magazines, you got to National Geographic, right? Which is at another level altogether. So how did that happen?
1: Um. Well, what I first started doing, like I was saying, going back to when I was just primarily a traveler, I would like run a trip in China and then I would go to a festival and photograph. I remember one festival, Yi Minority Festival in a pretty remote area of Sichuan. And then I wrote a letter. I started with airline magazines, actually. Thai was very good and also Singapore Airlines and seemed like the Asian airlines made sense. And I would propose in writing, it's for speculation, an article that I said okay this is what I can write and I would send out some duplicates because in those days it was film but mainly people were interested in what is the story idea and then they would say yeah we're interested send it in but I'd have to write it and send it in for speculation you have to go you know you just can't assume that somebody's going to say yes you have to go through this very awkward period of putting yourself out and being okay with people saying no, because they will say no all the time and they don't necessarily mean it. So you have to like try again from a different angle. That's why meeting someone in person is so important because they get a whole nother sense of you than just a, another piece of paper on their desk. Mm-hmm. But I started with these magazines that I would write the article because I was on expeditions that no one else could write about it. I had to, and then I would put pictures with it. And so I started that way. And then I worked for the newspaper and that was invaluable and then I started going to New York and trying to get appointments with editors with my slides in hand and you know again it was yeah. it was very tough that old pounding the pavement and so like I say I don't think one literally has to pound the pavement these days because it's not as concentrated in a place like New York as as it was, but there is still going to be that awkward period that's going to really test you, and that's where the major dropout is. Because, for very valid reasons, someone says, "Hey, I've got three kids; I can't afford this." Someone else says, "You know, well, you know, I think I'd rather go to medical school. This <laughs> <It's laughs> yeah, a hell of yeah. a lot easier, you yeah. know, um, than this photography stuff." Yeah. So, it's, this awkward period is very helpful because not, rarely is anything going to come easy.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think to help put this in context for the listeners, can you talk about like what was the amount of rejection that you faced? Oh,
1: over 50%. I mean, absolutely. Or rejection is not so much the nose, but maybe indifference, you know, like, oh, thank you. Well, we'll call you if anything comes up. Well, you know, we really don't do Asia that much. We're mainly interested in America and Mexico. Your stuff is really good, but it's very similar to somebody else that we have. And things like that, that yeah. aren't exactly no's, but they weren't the,
0: the hey, no, yes. here's yeah. a
1: <laughs> job offer for you. Yeah. And so you just can't get depressed about it. You can't take it personally.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And What do you think stood out about you or your application when you finally reached out to National Geographic?
1: It's really about what I call the tenacity quotient is, again, can you stay with it? The way I handled National Geographic was you don't walk in and say, I'd like to work for you. I first uh, sought out the assistant photo editor and said, look, I know I might not be ready for National Geographic, but I would really, this is what I've been doing. And again, I wrote it. I wrote it very carefully, explained exactly what I was doing. I said, this is what I've been doing. This is where I want to go. Would you be willing to look at my portfolio? And remarkably, the assistant editor said yes. But he had no pressure because I wasn't asking for a job. And today you can do that by going to photo reviews. There's these fabulous photo fest or review Santa Fe. There's, They're all in Europe. They have them too. There's ways you can do that, but because to get that feedback important. And that assistant photo editor remembered me and I came back and then finally I came to him. I said, you know, I think I'm ready. And he said, yes, you're ready. So that's kind of how it worked for yeah. me. But I had to go through that kind of humble phase yeah. of, of presenting myself. And it was, it was a real legitimate humble phase. But I still felt very secure in my photography, even though I look back at it and I go, oh my God, it wasn't that great. But I felt really good about it. So you have to have confidence. You're going to get beaten down and I can't tell you how many times in my career and probably still will. I say, I'm done. I'm out of it. I can't take it anymore. I'm going to buy a gas station. (laughs) I'm going to, you know, (laughs) set up a bed and breakfast. Of course, that isn't something I ever really wanted to do. But, you know, there's so many times I wanted to quit. But the reality is I go, well, what else would I do? You know, one of the biggest questions I, I still think about, and I still say, look, if I won that million dollar lottery, what would I do?
0: Yeah. And to be
1: pretty honest, it wouldn't be that different than what I'm doing.
0: Yeah. No, I you love know? that. Yeah. Th- that kind of question really puts things into perspective, right? That what is it that you want to be doing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And can you also talk about this profession from a financial perspective? Well,
1: I don't, uh, you're never going to become a millionaire in editorial photography. I think there are other types of photography. I know some fine art photographers who are making significant money, but that is, That is so, such a roll of of the dice, you know, the odds are are not with you. And then, of course, the higher end is working in high-end commercial photography. You can make significant money. But again, very competitive. And the technical skills are extreme. You mean you are working with lights and you're working with assistants and you're almost making a film. In fact, that's another thing. In order to make it in photography today, you have to know video. Okay. And let me come back to that in just a second, because I don't think I completely answered the question that you gave me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I think it might be helpful to talk about if you were to take, let's say, a typical assignment, National Geographic sent you to Blue Nile, and you don't have to give me the exact figure that you were paid, but something like that, that maybe a magazine, which is not as high caliber as National Geographic, but something else What can you expect, like a range?
1: Well, um, the sad news is, is that the day rate for photography has not gone up in over 20, if not 30 years. And that is true. And even as your rights are spread out, because there's more electronic rights now that you have to sign away, and there's more work to be done with your images because of the computer. To be perfectly honest, if I was doing the things that being paid for what I did 20 years ago, I'd be making less money now. And I wouldn't be getting any more money. Does that make sense? Okay,
0: no, I I understand. And I, I think this is why probably that a lot of photographers now do workshops and all of these additional things, which act as sort of supplement your income. You have to. And well, there's not that many assignments anymore because magazines, of course,
1: are folding left and right and newspapers are letting off their photographers and using more freelance people. It's just economically better for them. So, yes, there are. I mean, most of my friends who are all very high caliber are teaching workshops and tours and they're great fun. I mean, I I love giving uh, lectures and seminars. I love talking about photography, I have to admit. So it works perfectly for me because I, you know, I started as an educator. So bringing education back into my world as a photographer is a perfect match because the reality of just making as a magazine or a magazine, um, if you're thinking online, photographer is is practically impossible, you know, because like I said, the day rate has not gone up in a very long time and budgets are very low and there's still so many people that come at me saying well I don't really have a budget for photography but I'll give you a credit and you're like well are you paying the printer (laughs) you know so it's it's amazing how many people still think photography should still come free and that's going to always be there and always was there so I the reality of making big bucks in the type of work I do no Definitely, it's supplemented by so many other pieces of the pie. For example, I also work in what's called stock photography, which used to be a very, very big niche for photography of selling, working with a library like Getty or Corbett's, which is now folded into Getty, and editors would come pick an image and then they would pay a certain amount of money for certain rights. And that used to be a very big field. But then it started to be more, you know, like, uh, let's pay less and let's do this royalty free. And so now stock photography is not as big as it used to be, but it's still a part of my pie. Absolutely. So there's just a lot of different pieces that I have to juggle. And One of the things I wanted to mention that I haven't touched on before is that if I was starting out in photography today, I would have to learn video.
0: There's no yeah. question.
1: And I actually am learning a little bit of it and it's it's hard. But most of the publications today expect not only stills, but they increasingly want their website or their forum to have movement and learning how to be a videographer is critical. But that's involved because it means it's a whole nother set of equipment. It's a whole nother skill set in terms of vision. And also there's a lot to do with audio and working with sound, which has never been a part of my life. So it's it's more complicated now, but it's more exciting.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's exciting. But I mean, I would imagine making a video is a completely different skill set. It is. It is. But so
1: many editors are demanding both, you know, and yes, there's some education that's going to have to happen with editors. They can't just say, oh, you're good at photography. Send me some video. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Because like, you know, with this podcast, you have to go back and edit it. Well, with my still images, I have to edit. And now with digital, I have to do raw processing and video, video editing, you have to edit, you have to put in the sound and all of this stuff. And so I think people are starting to become a little more savvy that it's not as simple as it sounds. But I would still say to any emerging photographer who wanted to work in somewhat close to the type of field I'm in video is critical.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think you brought up an interesting point, like how much time do you spend on one image? from the time that you are sort of contemplating how to best capture a scene to the time Mm -hmm. that you've done, you're done with editing and it's ready to publish? Well,
1: because I work in the more literal side of photography, and I've already said that I don't crop and I don't change content. That gives me a philosophy that's pretty clear cut, which means I try to get as much right in the camera as I can. And I like that challenge because personally, I like photographing more than I like looking at my photographs. Mm -hmm. I've always liked that. I love the act of photographing. I think Mm -hmm. that's part of the travel merged in there. And the challenge of having the whole you know, the whole photograph already in its niacent form. But then, of course, these days with what's called raw processing, an image is quite a large file, and every one of these images, they are just a being ready to be realized. And they have to be processed. And when i say process, i don't mean photoshop and removing content and blah blah. I mean you've got to get the color right and the contrast and the lights, you got to get your white point set and your black point set and there's this this whole part of the the skill set and the art of raw processing so the image looks like it would as a jpeg or film. There's yeah. just an aspect to that. And so it, it depends on the image. Sometimes that can take a while, meaning sometimes it can take five minutes. Sometimes it can take days to get mm-hmm. an image right. Wow, yeah. Okay. You know, so uh, I, I definitely spend more time photographing than I do post-processing. But there are other photographers who would answer this question very differently. There's other fields of photography that are just photographing bits and pieces so that then they can spend all their time, you know, behind the computer making um, a digital illustration or a stock photograph that has pizzazz because of its ability to photo merge and collage and things like that. So again, it comes back to this, it depends, and it depends on what field of photography you want to be in.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great point. And I I agree that now with post-processing, there's just so much that people do. So you you can spend really like a month on a photograph if you wanted to. Um, Absolutely. You know, I'm sorry for interrupting you, but one of the things that
1: that I'm doing right now that I love is I'm coming full circle back to fine art photography, printing. Because I start in the darkroom, in the black and white darkroom, and I don't want to be in the wet darkroom. I'm in the dry darkroom. I call it the gray room. My walls are painted 18% gray. I'm like a little mole in this room. But I am making prints to be seen in exhibits in galleries. And I went back to Ansel Adam, one of the famous black and white Mm-hmm. Photographers, do you know who I mean? Yes yes, loves? yes, yes. Well, he I was just recently talking to someone in seventh grade who didn't know what he, who he was. <laughs> so oh, I man. thought I better explain it yeah. a little bit. But I went back and read his books, and I realized that making a print is like sculpting, and that in Photoshop, I had to go to the next level of sculpting which is a, a kind of a very advanced burning and dodging which were the principles of the wet darkroom, and learning how to have a print kind of stand out with texture and with depth on a piece of paper and that's been really exciting and sometimes those images take months so are you shooting film then no, no, no. I, I stopped film. hundred I went 100% digital in 2004, 100%. I, think, yeah. I still have my film cameras. Mm-hmm. But film taught me so much. It taught me about being accurate. It taught me about getting it right in the camera. And also working in the darkroom was so valuable. Learning how to see in black and white was so valuable. So now I'm working digital and I'm working in color. I'm also working with a different part of the light spectrum. I'm also working with infrared light, which is invisible light. I'm working with near-infrared, not far-infrared like Silence of the Lambs, but <laughs> near-infrared that is very close to the visible light spectrum. Mm. If it's linear, you would call it on the right-hand side. And that's very exciting because I'm photographing with light that's falling on a subject I can see, but I can't see the results of that light falling on the subject. So in essence, I'm
0: photographing what
1: I can't see. And I find that very metaphysical and wonderful.
0: That sounds very cool. Actually, you know, if you wanted to, you could do like an entire podcast just on the technical aspects of photography because there's just so much. So yeah, so I think, uh, you know, this is extremely helpful, you know, paints a really nice picture of just photography as a space today. I would like to also understand in your point of view, and this is going back to what you said that in today's times for a professional photographer, who is someone who is consistently taking good photographs, and you do want to get into niches which aren't as easily accessible by amateurs, such as, uh, you know, maybe photographing celebrities or studio photography, etc. What do you think is the future of photography from the point of view of a professional photographer? Uh,
1: well, the few, what I think of the future of photography is different than what I think of professional photography. So ask the question again.
0: Mm, why don't you talk about both?
1: Okay. Well, okay. Well, I'll tell you the first one. So the future of photography, to be perfectly honest, it comes down to the tools like we have opened up uh, with the computer and the internet, and now it's coming down to cameras. As we've seen, the iPhone has opened up a whole nother venue into photography and for people using a camera and such a a good camera and such a small device that we have with us all the time. The next thing is going to be, I think, when there's a substitute for glass and we're not dictated by what a camera looks like. And from my point of view, it's not, If, it's when. And I can't say when. I know that there's a couple of different approaches for a substitute for glass. But right now, it is about lenses and how glass works in lenses. And when that is obliterated, photography is going to take on a whole different look as a tool. We also don't know what's going to happen with computers. So right now, uh, photography and technology is uh, meshed together and one has to be technically literate to be a photographer to this uber degree it's it's not enough just to be creative you really have to exercise that other part of your brain that is willing to embrace technology
0: and so how is your answer different for a professional photographer
1: well the professional photographer is going to have to keep up with all the shifts on how can you make yourself known? Mm-hmm. Because social media is going to change. I Can't guarantee that Twitter or Facebook is going to be out there. There's gonna be another incarnation of something. There's gonna be new ways that we see visually. We might be actually using those Google glasses. We might have whole different uses for visual arts that I can't even imagine right now. And so it's going to be the really creative person who not only is willing to stay up with the technology, but is also willing to be very far reaching with their vision in terms of how to integrate technology with vision. And that's certainly I have seen witnessing my colleagues go from film to digital because it was the people that just stayed entrenched in film that got left behind. And the ones like myself who got very excited about technology, and I had one of the first digital cameras, and I try to stay up with it as much as I can. We're the ones who are staying in step. And that's going to continue for the future generations
0: this is i hadn't even thought about that so this is really really interesting and i think you bring up a great point which is that now with all of this virtual reality and google glasses and 3d and all that i mean i mean who knows what photography or a photograph might look like in the future so you're absolutely right
1: we don't know more yeah. three i mean we can only guess and it's it's actually very exciting yeah. but that's why photography i think really is Everyone always has to have a, you know, a skill set, whether you're a heart surgeon or whether you're a painter, you have to learn your tools. And certainly that's even more true with photography, the same way with, I think, filmmakers. You really have to understand your cameras and you have to understand kind of the venue for your media. Filmmakers have lots of assistants. They have a lot of people. There's, it's a joint project with lots of people. Photographers pretty much work on your own, which means there's more of an onus on you to understand all the facets. And so someone who is very multifaceted and very quick in technology, but also doesn't stay very linear and can let the technology go and be creative, that's a pretty unusual
0: person. And that's the person who's going to make it in Tomorrowland. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I want to touch upon some of the more day-to-day aspects of working as a photographer. So can you describe that more on a day-to-day basis, what are the kind of problems that you solve or run into? Time,
1: (laughs) you know, finding time to do all of what I'm talking about, because you have to be careful, you have to triage, because Social media, you can get really involved in social media. And like I say, there's not like every dime for every tweet or every sentence on Facebook. So you have to use it very carefully and very smart. And you have to get your work done. So you have to figure out what's important. And, you know, I'm constantly making lists and making sure I keep the important things on top of the list. And then I find myself drifting off to something and I have to yank myself back to what really needs to be done to further my goals and to further what I want to do. And I'm the only one who could... I have to keep track of myself. I don't have a boss. I am my boss. And I think that is um, really important for someone who wants to go in this very demanding field that you have to go at it alone. So I have to keep my energy up. I have to keep my health up. I have to keep my creativity up and enthusiasm for what I'm doing. And it's great, but it means that I really got to pay attention how I use my time, particularly when I'm home, like now. What am I going to say yes to? What am I going to say no to?
0: So generally on a typical day, if you were to think about the big activities that you spend your time on, what would they be? Well, see, I don't have a
1: typical day (laughs) because sometimes I'm coming back in between trips and I have like three days. And so laundry is my typical day, right? (laughs) I'm packing, I become a professional packer. I pack and unpack. Now I'm home for three weeks and my life is about work. So I don't have a typical day because when I'm traveling, I'm doing something else now. Now I am totally focused on what do I have to do during this time period when I have access to my images, I have access to all my computers and what do I need to get done before I leave again? And also, right. can I see my friends too at the same time? Because I do have to have a little bit of a life <laughs> uh-huh. aside from my career. So that's the one thing I have to say about all this. There is no typical for what I do. Now, for somebody else who has a studio, that's different. They have typical days.
0: Mm-hmm. That, that That's a good point. And I guess I think it will also be helpful because, you know, for, for someone who may not be working as a photographer, you think that, well, I guess the main things that you do are photograph and then maybe spend some time processing those photographs and that's it. Like, are there any other, like, based on what you've described so far, I would imagine that you also spend some time reaching out to maybe editors or other people for assignments or I guess you're at a stage, maybe the assignments are just coming to you on your own.
1: No, no, no. Assignments will never come to you on your own. (laughs) I used to hope that. I used to think that. No, that's what I'm saying. One constantly is promoting oneself because you're only as good as your last article. And it's a highly competitive field. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's, it's not combative, really. I don't feel like I'm stepping over people to get places, but you're constantly working. And to be honest, if what you want to do is photograph and process your images, then don't be a professional. Have a really good job that you can retire early and then you can have this great and hobby is a terrible word, but you can have this great second
0: reinvention of yourself
1: as a photographer, but you have some money behind yourself and you can travel and maybe Mm -hmm. you can self-publish some books and maybe you can make some exhibits. But if you're starting out young and you're saying, this is going to be my main livelihood, I'm sorry, you're 75% of your time is business.
0: Yeah. No, I think that that's a very good insight, right? Because I don't think people realize just how much of your time you have to spend in promoting yourself and putting yourself out there and getting that work rather than actually doing the work,
1: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I love, I want to be the myth of Nevada Weir. I want to be Nevada Weir who kind of just goes out, you know, editor gives her a job and she travels and she has a great time and has, meets these amazing people and it's just fantastic and comes back and there's these great images and she goes out to dinner and laughs about and tells stories and then she goes off on another trip. I want to be that person. That That is not my life, you know, at all, yeah. you know. Uh, and it's, but it, it's a lovely myth.
0: Yeah, I know it is, and it is sort of the myth which I think attracts a lot of people initially, at least.
1: To the sure, best. and yeah. and I and I like it because you know if you bring if you take out bits and pieces, like if I tell you bits and pieces and stories, it's, it is magical. I have done some remarkable things, and I've met fascinating people, and and I'm very excited. But those are bits and pieces in between a lot of struggle mm-hmm.
0: do you run into stressful situations
1: i always run into it's always stressful i mean assignment photography has got to be the most stressful thing i've ever done you're on an assignment people think oh national geographic oh you get months and months and you get this way and you wait for the beautiful light no. I mean, especially nowadays, the assignments are truncated down to three weeks to do something. And it constantly calling people up and, did I get the image? Did it work out? How is the weather? This... It's a very stressful, working on a newspaper has got to be one of the most stressful jobs of all because you have to produce in some of the most wicked situations, And then constantly, when is the next paycheck going to happen? What am I going to do for my retirement? All those questions. It's There's no simple answers to any of these. And if I had gotten that coveted trust fund where is that rich uncle where did he go <laughs> that's supposed to leave me that trust fund hmm. yeah. never got it you know yeah. I played the lottery just in case but I, yeah of course it's stressful yeah, But
0: can you share an example of a stressful project I think it'll be helpful if we can actually talk about you were given an assignment that in the next one week do this and then how did you do it
1: well if an editor like let's say gives me an assignment tomorrow to go to the Dominican Republic and to photograph chess players, okay? okay? First of all, he's and he says, and you know, I you only have two weeks to do this in. I've got to immediately, let's say I've never been to the, I have been to the Dominican Republic, but let's say I never happened. been. I have to look it up. I'm the one who has to decide where to go. No one's saying, and I want you to go to this city. I'm the one who has to research. I'm the one who has to go there. I'm the one who has to find these people. I have to talk to people. Where are the chess players? You know, no one sets anything up for you on an assignment. I am doing everything. And of course that's stressful. I'm finding my way through the streets. I'm talking to people people. I'm maybe calling back to my editor. Do you think this will work? Do you think this will work? Oh my God, it's raining today. I'll never be able to do what I thought I was going to do. I mean, I can't think assignments to me were always the most stressful thing in my photography world, yeah. exciting and extremely satisfying. I mean, that Blue Nile assignment I was telling you about, I was halfway through and I was petrified because when I got off the Blue Nile River, I didn't think I had a story. I was with the TV people. They could look at their video. Jenny could look at her notes. I couldn't look at my film. But even if I could, I didn't feel that I had enough material. And so I had to figure out a way to get more material. So I found every assignment stressful.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, and I think, I think maybe because you've been doing photography for so long, you maybe take a lot of this stuff for granted. But for a lot of people, it's, it's not immediately obvious that you, you're the one who has to prepare so much before even you begin to photograph right whether it's researching the country you're going to or figuring out how you'll find those subjects and fixing up those appointments and then these things which are out of your control like it started raining right so it's not yeah yeah uh, it paints a very vivid picture of you know that is what reality is like Figure. Yeah. I, again, I don't think people
1: realize that they think being a pro photographer and you've reached this point in your career, people are going to give you assignments and then they're also going to pave the way for it to happen. And it never happened that way. And it never will happen that way because even when I started and even now, if I'm given an assignment, I'm the one who primarily does the grunt work. I'm the one who has to define the photo opportunities. Uh, someone doesn't just sort of say, Oh, look, there's a, very photogenic thing over there no one's walking ahead of me that happens in movies they have (laughs) art directors in movies and and maybe on commercials and uh, more corporate or commercial assignments in that upper end but in travel and editorial the photographer is the logistician as well as the technician
0: yeah yeah no that this is
1: very very helpful
0: so is there something like a typical background for a photographer
1: no, I don't think there is a typical background. I'd say because of digital, there's quite a few technical people that become interested in photography because it's more techie than it used to be involving computers and digital cameras and so forth. And like I said, I think having that ability to have a mix of understanding technology, but also being creative is is really important. But um it's, it's really not so much what background you come from. It's more what type of personality you are.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's say someone is, you know, wants to learn more about photography or just wants to learn photography. Are there any resources that you might recommend? These days, there's so many resources available for the
1: emerging photographer. There are does great workshops. I mean, I live in Santa Fe. There's the Santa Fe workshops here. There's one in Maine. There's one in Palm Beach. There's great photo festivals happening. Charlottesville has the great look one. Palm Beach has photo festivals, the great one in New York for uh, having seminars and learning about the new gear that's coming out there's there's many things that have minimal costs and then there's other things that have marginal costs like workshops and then there's also tours where you can go to India like I just came back from from India and I was on a National Geographic tour and I was the photo expert and I was giving lectures and I was also helping people mm-hmm. who weren't that accomplished in photography they were just starting out and That's fine because we're all beginners at one point. I'm more interested in how enthusiastic someone is about photography as opposed to how good they are. And, and so there's so many ways to, to, to learn photography and then to, to learn about the business of photography. There's seminars like with this fabulous woman, Mary Virginia Swanson, who is the marketing guru and she gives workshops and talks about how to get involved in the fine art market and how to publish a book and, you know, how to get a rep and all these technicalities. She's yeah. just a, a cyclopedia of knowledge. And then there are these photo reviews where you can actually put out a body of work and have photo editors and art curators from all over the world, look at your work and give opinions. And it's good because they're all going to be different and of course, yeah. they're all personal opinions. So it's nice to have more than one. So these days, there are so many ways to have to learn about photography, and there's so many ways to put your work out there.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So I know that you've touched upon a number of different aspects or qualities that a person should have in order to make it as a photographer, especially as a freelancer. But if you were to think about photographers that you admire quote unquote, the best photographers you know, and think about the top three qualities that they possess, what would they be?
1: They have curiosity, they have independence, and they have tenacity.
0: (laughs) You know what is interesting for me when you say that? So you said curiosity, tenacity, and what was the second one? Uh, uh, Independence. Independence, yeah. What's interesting for me is that you don't mention creativity.
1: Well, I think that's part of curiosity. curiosity. I
0: don't. I don't think you can.
1: I was started. I started to think creativity. And then I thought, what is the root of creativity? And I thought the root of creativity is curiosity. Yeah, that's right. You know, and that's also the root of science too, and mathematics. But it's going into new di- new dimensions, whatever field you go into, and it starts with mm-hmm. curiosity. What if? What if? you know, what if I go into this door? What if I try this? And not worrying about whether you know how to do it. It's the what if. (laughs) And it's, it's the what if people who really go far in the world, especially in independent fields, I, I think in any field, actually.
0: No, I completely agree with you. Nevada, this was extremely, extremely helpful. Is there any other advice that you'd like to share for anyone who is interested in pursuing a career in photography?
1: Well, if you want to become a travel photographer, hang out with all the MBA students and not the rock climbers in college.
0: (laughs) Really? What makes you say that? Well, you know, I'm saying learn a little business too. (laughs) This is great. Thanks a lot, Nevada. This was really, really wonderful. Thanks again. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was Nevada and a great discussion on building a career in photography. I sincerely hope that you found today's discussion helpful. And of course, if you have any questions at all for Nevada or for me, you can email us at learneducatediscover at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us. Our Twitter handle is at led underscore curator. You can also find us on Facebook. Our Facebook page is at facebook.com forward slash learneducatediscover. And if you like the page, you'll start getting updates on all the great content that we are putting together for you guys right there in your Facebook feed. Of course, if you enjoy the show, if you enjoy what we're doing on this podcast, you can subscribe to the show. You can search for Learn, Educate, Discover on either SoundCloud or Stitcher or iTunes. We're available on all three and then you'll find us and then you can hit subscribe. And of course, if you enjoy the show, you can leave us a review. Your reviews mean a lot. So take a minute out, leave a review. And of course, if you're curious about Nevada and her work, check out her website at nevadavere.com. That is spelled as N-E-V-A-D-A-W-I-E-R.com. So check it out. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for your time and for listening. And until the next one, take care and be well.